Would you open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 will be our key text today, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. We continue our sermon series, To Be Continued, Lessons from 2 Timothy. Paul, writing to his son in the ministry, Timothy, is treating him as a mentor and a protege, is pointing out to him things he needs to be aware of, both of the behavior of others and of himself. And today, he's warning Timothy about dangerous people that inhabit the church. This next week, uh, uh, we'll get to a sermon where we focus on Paul's instructions for Timothy about living in Jesus, then preaching the word, and uh, finally, Paul asking for help. And before we know it, we'll be done with this sermon series in a few weeks' time as we continue through 2 Timothy. You've got your scripture memory verse of the month is at the top of your sermon outline, and we'll put that on the screen now for you. And let's say that together. That's a, uh, it's a, a text from next week's sermon. Say it with me. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. We will see the truth of this scripture again in this passage, even though this passage precedes that one. Because Paul is warning of who dangerous people are, and how do you diagnose dangerous people? Well, you need to know what scripture says. So if you've got your Bible uh, open and you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading Scripture, let's turn our attention to our key text today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Verse 6, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we've got a passage of Scripture before us that's got all kinds of scary things to say about people and a warning for us to beware of such people. Would you cause us to pay attention? And rather than just point the finger at others, would you, by your Holy Spirit, show us where we have these sort of dangerous even sinful characteristics in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You can be seated. 
When you look at this passage, there's really two portions to it. Two portions to this passage of Scripture. The first is in the first five verses, and that's who these people are. And the second is in verses 6 through 9, and that is what these people do. And notice what he says in verse 1. But mark this. The New American Standard Version says, realize this. There will be terrible times in the last days. The last days, the end times, uh, obviously today we're one day closer than we were yesterday when Jesus is coming back to take his church back to heaven and there will be judgment of all people on all earth and, and all the things that follow in the last days. Scripture talks about these last days repeatedly. But your first point on your outline actually takes you to verse 9. And your first point, if you're writing it down, is how well do I recognize such people, such folly, excuse me. I'm the one that wrote it. I need to remember what I wrote. How well do I recognize such folly? Let's look at verse 9 there. It says, but they will not get very far, as in the case of those men, referring to Janus and Jambres in verse 8, Their folly will be clear to everyone. What Paul is saying here is that everything that's preceded about these dangerous and foolish and sinful people should be evident from everyone. He's saying all of us should recognize their folly, but I really see that we fall into three parts. The first one we'll put up there. The first one is that I clearly see folly in others and myself. If you are rational, if you are reasonable... If you're following Jesus closely, you ought to be be able to recognize folly in yourselves and others. Now, we've got to take a minute to define that foolishness. If you want to know what the Bible says foolishness is, the easiest place to go is the book of Proverbs. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I know I say this about once a month, go to Proverbs and read the proverb for that day. Today is the 17th, read Proverbs 17. Tomorrow's the 18th, read Proverbs 18. If you miss the 19th, don't worry about it and think, oh, I got behind. Just pick up on the day number that it is and read that proverb. And you will see repeatedly in the book of the Proverbs, almost ad nauseum, where you're going to go, okay, I get it. Foolish people do this. Wise people do this. And you'll see all the ways that foolish people and wise people are different. But in brief, as Dr. Henry Cloud talks about, the difference between a foolish person and a wise person is simply this. When the light comes to a situation, when the truth comes to a situation, a foolish person tries to excuse the light, tries to say that the light is not light, tries to say the truth is not truth, where a wise person will recognize the light or the truth and say, hey, that's right, I'm wrong, I need to change. Whereas the foolish person is going to try to change the truth, make excuses, externalize. It's never their problem. It's always somebody else. It's always something else. You know, you've been frustrated by a foolish person before too because they seem to have an allergy to reality. They can't grasp what everybody else seems to have. And so scripturally speaking, foolish people can be dangerous people and we all should be able to recognize them. That's the first point on our continuum. I clearly see follies in others and myself, but let's get to the second point there. And that is that I see folly in others, but me, foolish, no way. I mean, some of us are there, right? We are, whether we admit it or not, other people in our lives can see it, that we kind of walk around like we got it all figured out. That we know what's going on and we never make a mistake and not my problem. I'm not foolish, we say. And everybody else goes, dude, look in the mirror. 
And then you've got a third point. Your third point is folly. What's folly? There's some of us who live in such foolishness, so depraved and so sinful and so separated from God that we don't recognize foolishness and sinfulness and dangerous behavior when we see it, that we're just steeped in it. This reminds me of a story I know I've told you before about my cousin Andy, and it involves my Aunt Fran. Now, my Aunt Fran, um, she's gone on to be with the Lord. She was quite a character. She was a lady with a big personality. She smoked about two packs a day, and so if you're not used to people that smoke that much, well, that's one thing. But she also wore this bright red lipstick, and she had this penchant for wanting to kiss all of us children, especially those of us who came from afar. I lived in Texas, and she lived in western Pennsylvania. So you could just plan on Aunt Franny seeking you out. And she was athletic. She played tennis and golf and other things like that. So she could catch you if you ran away. She wasn't some old decrepit aunt. And I can remember running from her as she was going, come here and give Aunt Franny a kiss. You know, and she, she'd put a big one on you with the red lipstick. And it's like, ah, get that off of my face. So not only the red lipstick, but, you know, I didn't have smokers near me in my family. So with that breath and everything, it was like, ah. I'm melting. But that was my Aunt Fran. She was a bit pretentious too, and she had a very nice house. The kind of house with like stuff that kids aren't supposed to touch. Uh, her kids were older and out of the house, and so when we went to Uncle Tom and Aunt Franny's house, we were always given clear instructions. You know, keep your hands to yourself, don't run around, go outside, and don't go in the front room. If you tell a child not to go in the front room, what's a child going to want to do? The front room was the formal living room. The front room was the one that had like white couches and white chairs and fancy stuff. But there was also something very tempting in the front room. There on the coffee table was a bowl of candy. So when you're at Uncle Tom and Aunt Fran's house, even though there's always Pepsi, because Aunt Fran loved Pepsi, there was candy in the forbidden front room. I'll never forget the time that my cousin Andy, who's four years younger than me, came out of the front room and his mouth was... And I happened to be there just as Aunt Franny swooped in and she says, Andrew Liller, where is that candy? And he says, candy? I don't know anything about candy. Yeah. Foolishness. I don't know anything about foolishness. We all act like we can't see it, but everybody around us can see it. Just like my cousin could hardly close his mouth because he had so much candy stuffed in it. Folly? What's folly? The Bible says we should be able to recognize the foolishness of others. And you are in luck, friends, because now we're going to go back and look at the rest of these verses in this passage of Scripture to clearly show us What kind of folly and sinfulness Paul is talking about? Would you turn your eyes back to verse 2? Verse 2 says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Holy moly. So your question there, your second question is, what is the character of foolish people? What is the character of foolish people? Paul's going to describe it in these next verses. And your first sub point there tells us what? They are utterly selfish. 
absolutely, positively, without exception, selfish. Did you see those descriptors there? They will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. This is at the root. This is at the foundation. Um, This list, unlike many that Paul writes, seems to have an order to them, but this one does not. It's almost like he was grabbing any word he could think of from any way and just writing as quickly as possible about the danger of these folks. Paul wrote similar lists in Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 31, where he talked about a pagan society. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, where he talked about dealing with sinful people. But here we have this list over verse 2, 3, and 4 that has 20 different negative characteristics. But here's the dangerous part about this. Look at verse 5. Just skip ahead with your eyes. Not on our screen or anything, but just skip ahead. It says they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. The people that are described in verse 2, 3, and 4, the foolish and sinful people, profess to be believers in Jesus. They are church members, church attenders. So that changes the way we read this. They put on a good face on Sunday, but every now and then the mask comes off and you see these characteristics. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Their moral corruption follows their love uh, from love falsely directed, Donald Guthrie said. These are negative words. These are ugly words. Let's move to your second subpoint there. They're hurtful to others. Not only are they utterly selfish, but their selfishness manifests itself in the way they treat other people. You think about it. If you know somebody who is a lover of money, they probably don't care if they're going to help hurt other people. If they love themselves, they're going to elevate themselves. It even said they were boastful and proud. And it even said they were abusive. And to take it further, that they were disobedient to their parents. They were ungrateful for what they had, unholy in the way they acted. But look on in verse 3. One translation of Scripture actually says that they're heartless. It says they're unforgiving. Another translation says that they're unappeasable. That they're unwilling to forgive. That they're slanderous. That's talking about somebody in a negative way to their face. Gossip is behind their back, slanderous to their face. Both of them are sinful. Then it says, the 13th of our 20 characteristics, they are without self-control. Does anybody have a King James Version? The King James uses a word that we don't use very often in this phrase, or in this way. It says they are incontinent. We as adults know that means they can't control certain functions of their body. That's the way we most often use it. But think about that in reference to the way people treat others. That they don't have self-control. In other words, they're just having accidents all over everyone else. They're incontinent. What a negative, ugly image that is. But how that applies to these sort of people. It says that they are brutal. That word is, is a strong word. It means cruel and utterly heartless. They're not lovers of what is good. The New Living Translation says that they literally 
hate what is good. The King James says they despise those who are good. The idea of that phrase is that they literally hate what is good and that they have replaced it with something else. Isn't that our world today? Not only have people left what is good and moral and right and wholesome, but they have gone to hate the good and celebrate things that are evil. Friends, when we light up buildings to celebrate late-term abortions of viable children, I see that as evil. It turns my stomach and bothers me that people could get that far away from the truth and wholesomeness and good, no matter their political view or their moral view, should be more important. When we celebrate those and elevate those who choose alternative life cycles or life, uh, lifestyles, but actively seek to oppress biblical values of sexuality and marriage, even making it illegal to hold biblical views of things, I think we've gotten to the point of hurting others, gotten to the point of replacing good with evil because we celebrate it that way. Your third point there, coming from verse 4 to summarize it, is that these people are dangerous. Look at verse 4. They're treacherous. They're rash. That means they're reckless and heady. They don't care for themselves or others. They are conceited. The English Standard Version says that they are swollen with conceit. One translator said that that word is best understood as unwarranted self-importance. They don't have a reason to be that self-important, but they are. They're so full of self. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We could stop right there and say, doesn't that summarize all modern people? And Paul would be going, "Uh, hey, I'm writing about people 2,000 years ago. It summarizes people today. People are people no matter the era. Friends, we live in a broken world. And it's demonstrated by this sort of foolishness, this sort of sinfulness, this sort of hurtfulness that is dangerous to oneself and to others. Where we elevate self and we elevate sin. The end of verse 4 there. That they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All of us have been there at one time or another. Some of us make a habit, even a career, a lifestyle of it. Where we celebrate our pleasure rather than the things of God. Remember, this is written of people that were in the church. Remember, this is written of people just like you and me who showed up on Sunday. Which begs the question, our third question. Why are they so dangerous? Pastor Aaron, if they, you know, they they can have their own opinion. Yes, they can. Uh, They can live their own way. Sure, they can. I can't change people. I'm not trying to be judgmental with an attitude. I'm trying to be judging and discerning based on Scripture and based on these things that Paul says that we can see in ourselves and in others. They have a 
form of godliness, it says, but deny its power. Have nothing to do with them. That is their appearance of religiousness. They reject the power that could make them truly godly because they're all full of self. And Scripture says we're to have nothing to do with those people, that we're supposed to stay away from them. Paul's saying don't be around them. Paul's saying don't have people like this in your fellowship. Is he saying don't have people like this in your church? At what point do we say that such a dangerous person can no longer fellowship among us? Keep in mind this Scripture is not talking about people of different races. It's not talking about people of different political parties. It's not talking about having different theological views even. It is talking about how you hold those views and how you live your life. It's talking about character traits that demonstrate themselves in actions. And we have to be mindful of such folks. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says that they are the kind of folks that worm their ways into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. Now, before you think Paul is a chauvinist and he's picking on women, remember that as we heard in the book of Ephesians, as we heard in 1 Timothy, and as we hear again here in 2 Timothy, all three of them written to the Ephesian church, which Paul planted and was there for three years. Timothy there now for multiple years. Paul knows these people intimately. Apparently, one of the key characteristics of the Ephesian church was that there were strong women that had been liberated by financial means, capitalism or whatever you might call it, and they had time and ability to do things, but these women were not as studied in their theology so that false teachers would come in and try to take advantage of them because these are the ladies that could provide the money for the false teachers to make their living and all that sort of thing. So who else are you going to target? The person with poor theology and a big bank account. Absolutely. You see that on our airways even today, right? And that's why Paul targets us. So he's not picking on women in particular. He's saying this is what's happening in this church. He's named it again and again and again. And he says that they're loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. That's where he's taught previously in 2 Timothy here, also in 1 Timothy, also in Ephesians, about false teachers, not singling out women, but how um, the false teachers can sway any person. And it gives characteristics of them, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. This is the person who has all the head knowledge in the world, but they don't apply it to the way they live. That they might know all the Christian things to do, but they don't do them. This is like the person that's so far out of shape, they can't walk up a set of stairs without breathing too hard, yet they have an exercise physiology degree, and they can tell you exactly what to do. And they've studied nutrition as well. And they can tell you exactly what to eat. I'll never forget in seventh grade on my football team, we had one coach who was a very big man. I mean, his name was Coach Pika. We called him Pikes Pika because he was like six foot six. And to a seventh grader, you know, it's like, oh. 
And he also had this gigantic gut that hung out. I've never seen one as big in my entire life. You know, we uh, assumed that two or three of us could hide up under his shirt if that wasn't there. That's how big it was. And how my dad took such offense that a man who was built like this, who might have been an athlete in the past, couldn't even walk across the football field without getting winded. And how could that man presume to teach us about physical education? Paul is saying, people that know all these things but don't apply these things, that have been taught right but don't, they demonstrate that they are dangerous and they are actually filled with self as verses 2, 3, and 4 tell us. So let's get your first sub-point there. That they appear to be Christian. They know all the right things. They say all the right things. They show up to church. They show up to Bible study. They do good things most of the time. But when you poke them in a way they don't like it, ugly things come out. Or when you see their life when no one else is looking, you'd be appalled at their hypocrisy, their sinfulness, their foolishness because of their utter control by self. That's the scary part. They look good, but they aren't. Paul gives us a further answer there. Your second answer is that they reject God's power. He said that in verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Of course they do. They're charlatans of religion. It's all a sham to them. They're captivated because they're weak-minded and they're not submitting themselves to the Holy Spirit. So they see things not in a spiritual way, but in a physical way. And so they don't believe that God can and will do anything to change their lives or others because they haven't submitted themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. The third subpoint there is they take advantage of others. They take advantage of others. That's why they're dangerous. They take advantage of others. It said that there. It says, verse 8, Just as Janus and Jamboree opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. They worm their way into the homes of others. They teach false things. They do what they need to do. They say what they need to say in order to keep taking care of themselves, these false teachers. But these people that live like this take advantage of others. So your fourth question asks you, how do I respond to such dangerous people? That gets us to verse 5. He says they have a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Remember, these people are supposed to be Christ followers, supposed to be church members. But Scripture tells us have nothing to do with them. Your first answer there says completely avoid them. Completely avoid them. 
In our modern parlance, we might use the word boundaries. That we say, because that person is sinful, because that person is foolish, because that person is controlled by self and actually can hurt others, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. I'm putting a boundary here that I will say hello and how are you, and I will pray for them, but I'm not going to seek a relationship with them as a friend. And unless I see evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life, I'm not going to seek to cast my pearls before swine and uh, seeking to teach them and change them because it seems like they're too far gone and they could hurt me and hurt others. And in this passage of Scripture right here, the latter part of verse 5, Paul says, of these sort of dangerous people that I should have nothing to do with them. your last point there. That's do not be one myself. Let's read our list again. Verse 2. Lovers of themselves. Maybe you just need to get out your pen and make a check mark beside each one of these that applies to you. And yes, I know there's a continuum that sometimes you can do these and other times you're not. But some of us make a career of it, right? Some of us, our whole life is about being one of these negative, hurtful, dangerous characteristics. So maybe it's not a check mark you need. It's a one to ten and score yourself on each one. That You would say one is you know, never me. Ten is always me and somewhere in the middle. Am I a lover of myself? Where do you fall? One to ten. Am I a lover of money? Where do you fall there? One to ten. You boastful. Where are you? You proud. Abusive of others. Disobedient to your parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Where do you fall right now in your holiness? Are you seeking to be set apart, separated, devoted to God? Or I'm just going to do it my way. I'll show up at church and I'll say the right things, but I don't care. Are you without love? Remember, God's love is focused on others and it's sacrificing of ourself. What kind of love do you show? Are you unforgiving? Forgiveness may be our area of greatest need in our modern day world. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving God, forgiving others. Are you slanderous in the way you speak about one another? Without self-control. I think all of these somehow are governed by self-control. So this one may score higher for you than some of the others. Are you brutal? Hopefully not. But can you be in moments of anger or rage? Lot lovers of good. Are you treacherous or rash? Conceited. That's haughty. Swollen with self. Are you a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of good? 
excuse me, a lover of God. Paul teaches Timothy this. God had Paul write this and have it sealed and captured in Scripture that we have even today to warn us. These are dangerous characteristics of dangerous people that can hurt you and me. This ought to be sobering to all of us. Let's pray together. God, some scriptures are easier than others. It's really easy when we have scriptures that allow us to point fingers at other people. Maybe even get up in arms or rail against them. It's how evil or wicked they are. but not so easy when it's a scripture that shines a mirror on us and lists 20 different ways we could be dangerous or sinful and asks us, is this you? Is this you? Is this one you? How much so? Just a little bit? Sometimes? All the time? How well do you hide it? How deep's your hypocrisy? So, Father, would we be honest with you in confessing our sin? And as we are honest, seeking your spirit to control our lives, to overcome our sinful habits and patterns, these characteristics that have dominated our lives that have been dangerous to ourselves and others. Would you respond by filling us with your spirit, with wisdom and hope and peace? Would you, by your spirit, give us the ability to resist, overcome, defeat these dangerous, foolish, sinful characteristics within us. Guard us, Father. Strengthen us, we pray. Change us and challenge us, we ask. And Father, that's what we pray for those of us who are believers in Jesus. We also pray today for those who are not yet believers in Jesus. That maybe today is the day that they would say, I need to ask Jesus to save me from my sins and confess him as the Lord of my life. We ask these things in Jesus' name.